We're continuing in uh, our series on Genesis. We're calling it Beginnings, Lessons in Genesis. And, and uh, we're not going to do a uh, verse by verse or uh, probably not going to do a message from every single chapter. But we, we are for the first three chapters going to uh, take a look at uh, those very important chapters that deal with creation, uh, with today the, the Garden of Eden, and then uh, next week we'll, we'll look at when man fell into sin. And uh, so uh, today is our second message dealing with the actual passages <coughs> uh, in uh, Genesis, and we'll be in chapter 2 today. And I'm calling it, What Was? What Was? You know, the last couple of weeks <coughs> here in America has been a challenging time for our country, hasn't it? Uh, of course, our, our history has seen many challenging times throughout uh, history. We've, the, the founding of our country uh, certainly was challenging for those who uh, desired freedom and wanted to, to be an independent country based on freedom for each individual. And of course, that ideal was not ideal for everybody in the beginning. There was a large part of our country, many of our fellow Americans, that were not offered the freedom of America uh, in the very beginning. And so we entered another challenging time for our country as we fought a civil war, uh, American against American. The right side prevailed in that conflict, uh, and the horrible stain of slavery was abolished. Today, over 150 years later, while we have made great strides towards racial equality, it's still a work in progress. World War I and World War II brought their own challenges to our country. World War II saw our country attacked by an outside enemy. And while it launched us into a four-year world war, mostly fought on foreign soil, uh, within our country there was unity. No matter our religious or political points of view, we were first Americans united against tyranny, united against forces that would take away the basic freedoms of our fellow humans and oppress and terrorize them into submission, silencing their voices. We were against that. Together, we were united. Our country experienced some division during the Vietnam era, as many, especially the young, uh, saw a political war needlessly take our precious sons and daughters away from us. Yet, even during this period, we were united in the idea of America, an, an America whose soul was still largely grounded in recognizing the God of creation, <clears throat> uh, in, grounded in the Word of God, in the way that we lived, in the way that we treated each other. We had different political points of view, uh, but we discussed them, we debated them, and even if we disagreed with each other, at the end of the day, we were still fellow Americans. But since that time, since the 1960s, uh, little by little, our country has slid farther and farther down the slope of abandoning God, abandoning His Word, and embracing the wisdom of man. Our country is divided pretty much in half 
Uh, and, and our enemies are not an outside force that seeks to harm us, uh, uh, but our enemy is often our own fellow Americans that sit across the aisle. We don't just, expect, we don't just disagree with each other. Often we hate each other. The events of the last several years and especially the last several months have demonstrated just how far we have fallen. The answer, the, the cause for the chaos that, that we are experiencing right now is it's easy to identify. All we have to do is read the first three chapters of Genesis. Uh, and it becomes very clear how something that is good and pleasant and just and righteous can quickly be destroyed. We are where we are today, not because of what happened at the Capitol on January the 6th or what happened throughout the country in many cities during the summer. We are where we are today because of what happened to the world that existed and that we read about in Genesis chapter 2. When sin entered the world, as we'll see next week in chapter 3, weeks like this past, the, the past two weeks and the past 10 months were made possible. We'll talk about that more in chapter 3 next week. All of us wish for better days, <clears throat> for times when there uh, is more peace, more civility, more unity, more justice, more righteousness, more tolerance. Better days can come, but it's only going to happen if God's people make it happen by turning to him, by being Christ-like people in the way we allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. And there has been no better days in the history of the world than the days that we see described in Genesis chapter 2. So let's take a look this morning at the way it was. The way it was. Actually, Genesis 2 starts with the end of the creation story. Um, uh, the seventh day is described in the first couple of verses in chapter 2. So let's just take a look at that for a moment before we get into uh, the Garden of Eden. On the seventh day, after God had created all the basic stuff that we talked about last week, and then he formed it and filled it, uh, ending with the creation of mankind, God rested. And I'm not going to spend a lot of time uh, on day seven here today, mostly because we, we just recently talked about it during the Timeless Ten series that we did before Christmas. And so if you didn't hear that, I would encourage you to, to go back and listen to that. You can find that on, the, on our church website uh, under sermons, or you can go to wherever you get your podcast and, and search for Stony Brook Christian Church. You can, you can find uh, uh, that message. It's called Remember the Sabbath. And you can also find many other messages that have been presented in the past as well. Uh, but I will say this this morning about the, the seventh day in, in light of what we've talked about so far. What a breath of fresh air this passage must have been and and other uh, things that were given to that very first audience that received uh, the message of Genesis and and the Ten Commandments. Uh, the, those recently freed slaves, uh, the Israelites who had been uh, in slavery in Egypt for 400 years, 
to hear the word rest. What a breath of fresh air that must have been for him. Uh, not only as something that God did, but, but something that God commanded them to do. Rest. Uh, the idea of rest for a slave is unheard of. Uh, for over 400 years, the Israelites did one thing. They did one thing. They made bricks for the Egyptians seven days a week from sunrise to sunset. That's what they did all the time. And the concept of rest for them did not exist. You basically worked until you died. And the Egyptians could care less because all they cared about is that you made bricks for them. But now they discover the true living God who created them loves them so much he commands them to take a whole day of rest every week. Every week. How refreshing and welcome that must have been for a people who were forced to work every waking hour of every day rest. At the end of verse 3, creation is complete. And then the author spends the remainder of chapter 2 painting a picture of the beautiful place where God had put mankind to live, the Garden of Eden. So let's begin with verse 4. Verse 4, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, verse 4 is seen by many scholars as describing the end of one narrative and the beginning of another. Um, the first part, this is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, uh, is seen as wrapping up the chapter 1, basically, the, the description of creation. And then the second part, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens, begins the description of man and his existence in paradise, or the Garden of Eden. Now, one of the significant things that, uh, that you can note uh, about this verse is God's name, God's name in verse 4. Now, what was his name, what was God's name in chapter 1? Uh, well, in English, it's, it's, you know, we can't really distinguish, we don't really distinguish it too much, uh, but in the Hebrew, uh, we see that his name was Elohim. Uh, it says, in the beginning, God, and that's the word Elohim. Now, this, this is sort of a generic word for God that simply signifies that he is the creator, Elohim. Interestingly, the, uh, and I didn't realize this, but the short form of Elohim, you know, we like to shorten things, uh, uh, is El. So people would sort of say the name of God in a quick, short way, by saying El. And that word is found in many of the biblical names that we read in the Bible. For example, Israel, and Ezekiel, and Daniel, and Joel often incorporated the name of God in their actual name. Now here in verse 4, the author adds another name to God, Adonai, Adonai. Now, this was the unique personal name of God and the name that was most frequently used in the Bible for God. This was probably the name that was substituted for the name Yahweh. Yahweh was the name that God gave himself to Moses at the burning bush, if you remember that story. The Israelites, though, were reluctant to say that word 
Yahweh because it was the holy name of God given by God himself. So, uh, so they used Adonai instead, uh, which means my Lord, my Lord. And he, so he was not just a distant God, Elohim, up in heaven. Uh, he was their God, Adonai, a personal name. To you and me, uh, as English speakers, you know, that, that doesn't mean a whole lot to us. Uh, but to that original audience, this shift in the name of God was very significant. So let's dive into paradise, verse 5. Now, no shrub had yet appeared on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. <clears throat> But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living being. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Genesis 2, 5 through 9. Now it says that uh, first no shrub or plant uh, had appeared yet, um, yet vegetation had already been created, we saw last week. Uh, uh, some see this uh, as... as specific kinds of vegetation that Adam would tend to. We'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, it, it says there in verse 5, there was no one to tend the ground. So maybe this was, uh, this was vegetation that, that he would uh, take care of. There was no rain yet. God watered the earth at this time by the streams that flowed through the garden. Then in verse 7, God recounts the forming of mankind. This time, giving uh, a few more details than he did before. In chapter 1, we see uh, God just created male and female. Doesn't give any details there. But here, we see a little bit more of, of, of how that came about. We see that God first created man, or Adam. Adam is the Hebrew word for man. I don't know that I knew that uh, before, or I had forgotten. <clears throat> he formed him from the dust of the ground, the passage says. Here's an interesting, interesting play on words that, that we as uh, English speakers don't really see, but the Hebrews would have seen in their language. The man, or, or ha-adam, was formed from the ground, ha-adama. Or you could say the earthling is made from the earth. Ha-adam is taken from ha-adama. God took this man, formed from the earth, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And for the first time ever, a man became a living being. Now imagine, just imagine that very first breath that Adam took. You know, a breath that has continued by by all those who have lived since then, including you and me. And then take a look at the next section. God planted a garden in the east. Someone pointed out Wednesday night at our Wednesday night discussion that this must have been some garden. Uh, it was planted by the creator of gardens. 
Talk about a green thumb, right? I mean, uh, the, the creator of, of gardens must have had the greatest green thumb, green thumb that has ever existed. This, this garden would have put the plush gardens of, of Europe uh, or the, the gardens of Disney World <laughs> to shame. If you've ever been there, you know that the, the, those are some great gardens. Um, and as beautiful as some of those things are, this would have put all of those to shame. Not only did God build the garden and design it himself, but at this time, there are no weeds to worry about. There, there's no thorns, no plant diseases. You know, it, it was literally a perfect garden. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. Down at my grandparents' home place near Belhaven, there are about five big pecan trees uh, that in the past have produced an abundance of pecans. I mean, uh, sometimes bucket full, buckets full of pecans. Uh, but for the past several years, only one of them have given us any pecans. And, and it's the kind that produces those little teeny pecans that are real hard shells. Um, the others, all the, the uh, paper shell ones, uh, all they produced this year in the last two or three years have been just black rotten nuts that fall off prematurely. I've got to figure out why that's happening. If any of you all have any ideas about that, let me know. <laughs> you know, I can tell you this, that, that never happened in God's garden. All of the pecan trees there produced uh, nuts, paper, perfect paper shell pecans, all the time. They were beautiful. And not only were the pecans and all the other nuts and fruits good to eat, but they were pleasing to the eye. You know, I mentioned the Disney gardens. Uh, we went to Disney back in March, and, and um, it, was, it was just amazing how beautiful everything is. Uh, they do a really good job of, of keeping the, the grass just perfect and all the lines are, are perfectly groomed and all the shrubbery is just is always perfectly formed and the flowers are pretty and it and uh, and you know it, it it's hard to to beat uh the the landscaping of disney but i i know a, a place where it was it was beaten and that was in the garden of eden uh because uh, the scripture says it was pleasing to the eye when you looked at it you went wow that looks good so God set up this perfect garden, and then he put the man, Ha-Adam, in it. In the middle of the garden were two particularly special trees. One was the tree of life. Now, the assumption is that you know, eating the fruit of this tree prolonged your life. It made you immortal. As long as you ate this fruit from this tree, you live forever. Uh, we, we also see that tree return when we get to heaven, uh, in Revelation 2, verse 7, we see the tree of life is there too. And if we eat of it, we, we live forever. I don't know if that's literal or, or, or symbolic, but, um, but in the garden there was the tree of life. As long as they took a bite of the fruit that grew on the tree of life, they would live forever. And so you might say, if an apple a day keeps the doctor away, uh, here you could say uh, an apple a day keeps the, I don't know, the mortician away. Uh, in fact, there was no need for morticians in the garden because in this perfect garden, there was no death. That There were no circumstances that would lead to death, like disease or accidents or old age. 
The tree of life was a beautiful tree. But so was the other tree that was placed in the middle of the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Here was a special tree that God seemed to to have placed in this perfect garden to show that while he made things perfect, while he made humans perfect, he did not make robots. We were not robots. God gave Ha'adam free will, free will to choose to obey and to serve God or to choose not to. God placed a beautiful tree in the garden that bore beautiful fruit. You would look at that fruit and you would go, wow, that that looks like that would really be good. Uh, Fruit that was pleasing to the eye. And then he forbade the man to eat it, to even touch it. We'll come back to that in a moment. Let's keep looking at this perfect garden. Verse 10 through 14 describes the four rivers that watered the garden, the Pishon, the Gihon, the Tigris, and the Euphrates. Sort of like the Nile does for the farmlands in Egypt, uh, these rivers watered, watered the beautiful garden and all that was in it. Then verse 15 identifies Ha'adam's job in the garden. Yes, his job, verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, Adam was not created to spend his life lounging in a hammock, eating the the luscious grapes from the perfect grapevine that God had planted there. No, no, Adam actually had a job in the garden. It was to work and take care of the garden. Now, the word work literally means in Hebrew to serve, to respect, to take care of, to protect. So work there didn't mean uh, uh, to make your living or to survive. It meant to serve, to serve. Adam got to be the gardener in the perfect garden. Now think about that. Yeah, I don't know, that sounds like a great job to me. I like being outside and working uh, in, in the yard, and it, it would sounds like a great place to work if you, if you enjoy that. Uh, I don't know what that job entailed exactly. Maybe it was cultivating, pruning, picking up all those pecans, those perfect paper shell pecans that had fallen off, or planting and caring for the vegetables that would have to be replanted every year. Um, every season. But because there were no thorns, no weeds, no disease, no storms, no floods, no heat waves, no early frost, no crop-destroying insects, for a gardener, it must have been a wonderful, delightful, pleasant, rewarding job. Not difficult at all. This job was different from the jobs that would come after sin entered the world. You know, then the, it would be, if you don't work, you don't eat. You had to work to survive then, but there was no issue of surviving uh, and eating in the garden for Adam. Here, God did the heavy work, and he made sure that everything was perfect. And then Adam sort of managed the perfection, you might say. But as God placed Adam in his perfect garden, he laid down the rules, there were rules for him to follow. They, they weren't complicated. It, it, was, it was really as simple as it could possibly be. Verse 16, 
And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. Almost everything in the garden was put there for the express pleasure of Adam and then later Eve. All of the beautiful trees that produced the most beautiful fruit that you could possibly imagine, uh, it, was, it was there for Adam to eat and enjoy. Uh, there was no shortage or lack of variety for him uh, to eat. You know, it wasn't like the Israelites in the wilderness who, you know, they had to eat the same thing every day. God uh, gave them what was called manna to eat. And so every day it was manna. It was manna stew and manna soup and, and broiled manna and boiled manna. It was manna, manna, manna every day. Uh, and I could see how you could quickly get bored with that and, and be tempted to, to look elsewhere for something different to eat. <laughs> but with Adam, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't apples every day. You know, it wasn't applesauce, apple slices, apple cobbler, apple fritter, fritters, apple pie, apple soup, apple stew, apples, apples, apples. It wasn't just the one fruit. Um, no, it was a garden filled with all kinds of, of fruit uh, that was pleasant to the eye and good to eat. And all of it was his. All of it, except one tree that bore one particular fruit. And God called it the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, my guess is Adam, when he first heard the rules, don't eat this fruit. Everything else is yours. Stay away from this fruit. My, my, my guess is Adam was like, hey, no problem, God. No problem. I mean, why would I want that fruit? You're telling me I shouldn't eat it and, or I'll die. Why would I want that fruit when I got all of this beautiful stuff right there for me? Not a problem, God. So the rules were set and understood. Then God moved to the next matter, Adam's loneliness. Verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So while God was working on that, making a helper for him, uh, God brought all the wild animals to Adam and then Adam named them. And whatever Adam named them, that was their name. Uh, perhaps this was uh, to emphasize the need for Adam to have a mate. You know, he saw all the animals had mates. Uh, there was male and female among them. Uh, a cat or a dog, you know, they, they can be good companions, <laughs> but, but they're still just animals. Adam needed a mate that was like him. And so God made it happen. Verse 21, so the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. Now God created woman out of man, and for the first time in his existence... Adam had someone to talk to, someone to uh, enjoy a conversation with, to laugh with, to, to be intimate with, uh, to share the, lo the load of serving the earth 
with. Uh, During this time, since sin was not a part of their world and their lives yet, their relationship was perfect. It was indeed a perfect marriage. There was no selfishness, no neglect, no unfaithfulness, no misunderstandings, no fights, no harsh words, no male chauvinism, no nagging. (laughs) There was perfect harmony between Adam and his newly created wife. And we don't learn her name until chapter 3, that her name is Eve. Now, no doubt uh, either Adam or, or maybe God told Uh, Eve, the rules of living in the garden. You know, about the trees, and particularly the forbidden trees. She she got a a, a report and an update on, on, this is how it works. And no doubt, just like Adam, she initially agreed to follow the rules, uh, just as Adam had. And and for a time, and we don't know how long, but perhaps a, a long period of time, for a time, Everything was just as God had planned it to be. It was truly paradise. No tears, no pain, no sorrow, no sickness, no hunger, no shame, no guilt, no death. Everything was perfect. That's what was. That's what was before sin That was paradise. God created a perfect world for us to live in. And we need to understand that every evil, unpleasant, unfair, unhappy, unfulfilled, unhealthy, unsafe thing that we could possibly think of was never, ever a part of Adam and Eve's world in the Garden of Eden. That's the way it was. Next week in chapter 3, we'll, we'll see the way it is, even today. We'll, we'll take a look at the very first sin and how it came about and, and how it continues in our lives today. But today, I want us to just stop and think about how it was in paradise. What, what was lost? What sin utterly destroyed? It didn't have to be that way. Imagine a world with no COVID or any other disease. Uh, Imagine a world with no political turmoil ever. No need for politics. Wow, imagine that. Uh, Imagine a world with no sadness, no war, no hunger, no despair, no loneliness, no racism, no death. It's the world that Adam and Eve lived in but take heart there is hope wonderful hope for us today paradise will be ours again one day through jesus Uh, next week we'll we'll see how it was lost but we'll also talk about how it can be to some degree it'll never be perfect in this life but we can experience some peace some joy no matter what Uh, in this life through Jesus, and we're also going to see how it will be in heaven when paradise returns. I hope you'll join us next week, and let's, let's see what happened 
to paradise and most of all the hope that we have through Jesus let's pray father I thank you so much for uh, your your, uh, your documentation your your uh, narrative in the first three chapters of Genesis that that just give us a, a, a beautiful picture and sometimes an ugly picture as we'll see next week um, of, of just how things were how things uh, became today as we looked at paradise father it, we just get a glimpse of what it's going to be like in heaven when we get there and we, we look forward to that day when when we'll all we'll be in the presence of the tree of life again because we'll be in the presence of your son jesus uh, and uh, we we're so thankful uh, that you you gave us a way to return to paradise um, father i just i just thank you for this glimpse and the hope that we can see that again. Now, in the meantime, Lord, as we think about the turmoil that's in our lives and in our world today, help us to, to not to turn to the world for hope uh, and to the world for solutions and to politicians to help make everything right, but help us to know that the only way that we can find peace and joy in our lives and in the world is through you and through your son, Jesus. And so thank you, Father, for this glimpse of paradise, uh, something that we will see again when we are in your presence. Father, we, we give you praise and we thank you uh, uh, for your wonderful son. I just pray that you'll be with us as we uh, go through this next week. Uh, give us the peace and joy that we can have in you. Lord, if there's somebody out there that, uh, that doesn't know that peace and, and doesn't know that joy and doesn't know that forgiveness, that they'll reach out to someone, to me or to someone uh, that knows you and they will they will find out how they can uh, come in contact with your love and your grace father uh, thank you again for all your love and we ask all this in jesus name